Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. It's November 22nd of 2022 and this is episode 119 of my um, Q&A podcast made specifically for my Facebook virtual coaching group. So it's two days till Thanksgiving. It's a time where I think it's really important to reflect on your, your life and and um, Psalms 95.2 comes to mind for me. It's a time to um, come before him with thanksgiving. And we all have so much to be thankful for. I know at times life can be hard and you can suffer losses and, and it can be difficult. But there are many times where even during the difficult times and the hard times, you can still find more good than bad. So... I come before um, this holiday thankful for my family, my ranch, my my career, my 30 years doing TLC, my fur babies, um, my friends, and for my health. There's so much more we can go on and on. And I think that's a wonderful way to start every day, not just Thanksgiving, but every day with a thankful and grateful heart. So as we're going into this week's podcast, um, the topic is going to be reflection and preparing for 2023. It's hard to believe there's only one more month of 2022 left. November's challenges were to mindset was to be better, better today than yesterday. And that's going to be different for everybody. Some of you Better might be being a little bit nicer to yourself, a little bit easier on yourself. Um, Better might be riding your horse every single day instead of just twice a week. Um, You know, maybe getting yourself more fit or your horse more fit. Or um, it could be what our skill challenge is this month, which is getting your horse fancy broke. Maybe spending time making sure that you can move the shoulder from your um, inside leg by the front cinch. Move the hip from your leg in the back cinch and there's a lot of things that you can do to get your horse more fancy broke flying lead changes simple transitions and lead changes in a straight line uh, a better loose rein whoa backing off leg getting vertical breaking in the pole had a walk trot and lope with one hand versus two hands um, having a horse that not only breaks in the pole, but shortens its stride and shifts their weight to their hindquarters and lifts their top line. Getting a horse that can push their hip in easily while loping uh, in a circle. There's a lot of things you can do to get a horse more uh, soft, maybe more laterally broke, where you can get the nose in and the shoulder to be a little bit more to the outside. So that keeps that hip in and maybe getting them to be more four wheel drive instead of stiff and sticky but more soft and responsive and supple so body collection and maneuvers those are things that you could spend time on with your horse all of those things are very important uh, to getting that horse fancy broke so keep that in mind and um, as we go into December our challenges are going to be inspire inspire is going to be mindset five things every day or every week That inspire you. It might be listening to a podcast. It might be reading a book. Or going to a clinic or a lesson. Or maybe just 
trying new things with your horse, setting a calendar of things you're going to do with them, um, setting a goal for yourself. Those can all be things that inspire you <clears throat> to just keep um, trying and to keep going. The other thing you're going to do for skill this month is write down your goals for 2023. And I'm going to talk about that more in our topic of reflection in 2023 coming up. <clears throat> I had a clinic this weekend, so I want to uh, share a story with you. Um, I've been doing clinics now in Florida for almost 20 years, and um, I've changed them a lot over the years. Um, I used to have a lot of my assistants help me. So that people would, you know, if I had 12 riders, they wouldn't be bored and they could try different drills that I teach. I might have a station where we did the three circle drill, the lateral, counter arc, and vertical. I might have the D pattern, figure eights, um, spirals. Uh, you know, might have them working special drills on the barrel pattern, in and out, straighter, longer, single barrel. Um, so I, I like to keep them doing things so they didn't sit around and get bored. So I'd have all my assistants come over and teach them how to coach and what to focus on. One one or two changes per rider could be where they're looking. It could be more give and take with their hand. It could be sitting in the middle of their horse. It could be more leg. Um, you know, I always had them just try to focus on one or two things so people aren't overwhelmed And um, as they learn my drills. And I also used to do a, a timed run in the morning and a timed run at the end of the day. I used to also ride all the horses in the clinics, and um, I found over time, though, that I didn't like having the time run in the morning because they weren't warmed up, number one, and they do enough speed work on their own that I wanted to focus more on being correct and slow, so I cut that out, and then eventually cut out the speed run in the afternoon because I felt like we didn't have enough time to really make changes. Um, for speed yet in one day. If it was a two-day clinic, sure, a speed run at the end would be perfect. Um, and even maybe a fast one at the beginning to see where they're at, it's fine too, as long as there's adequate time to warm up. But I stopped riding the horses because that took two hours of every clinic because I'd be on every horse for 10 minutes. And people would watch me ride their horse and they'd be amazed how well their horse did with me on them. But again, what good is it if I can do it if I can't teach them how to do it? Because obviously the horse is going home with them. Back then I was training horses for a living. So if I got on their horse and made them look good, it brought me in new training clients as well. So there was a reason for my clinics. My clinics, I always hope to give people a taste of my program so that they might come back for lessons or training or virtual coaching. And I still today want them to come for lessons and virtual coaching or come back for more clinics. And over the years, I've had clients that have come to clinics, maybe five, six clinics over several years, some of them even more. And the reason why is because when you come to the first clinic, if you're learning, that's where you're at when you're learning. And then a couple of years later, you're way more advanced. So if you come back, you're going to see the clinic in a whole different aspect because you're more advanced. So I can challenge you to ride one-handed. I can challenge you to do more... Um, advanced drills or do the drills in a more advanced way where when you're starting out you're doing the the um the drills in a much more um beginner or you know basic way and not as advanced um so those are things people have to consider so so when i look at my clinics i've always noticed there's certain kinds of horses that come in 
there's your go horse that we're constantly working on collection. And I have to teach riders how to use their seat and hands to shorten that horse's stride and get them to calm down and relax. Then there's a lazy horse or, um, that doesn't want to keep moving. And that horse, I have to teach the rider how to ride more with their seat and their legs and, and hands forward and looking uh, well in advance of where they want to be and go so that, that horse remains more fluid. Sometimes we get a lot of stiff horses that are not broken the face, so we have to spend time on that. A lot of times there's going to be homework in a clinic. You're not going to get it all mastered that day, obviously. So you're going to take what you learn and apply it and hopefully advance. And I get to see your progress through lessons, more clinics, or virtual coaching with videos and reviewing your videos. So that is the whole idea, and that's what I... I like about clinics is it gives us a chance in a group setting for people to watch and learn from each other and um, it gives you a chance to get a, an entire day with me and that's another reason why I cut out the assistant because well one it's really hard to schedule people's um, it was really hard enough to pick dates for clinics with clients much less making sure all the assistants could come too. it became very stressful so I like getting my clinics down to where it's just me and um, the only schedule I have to worry about is my own and getting, you know, the clients there. <clears throat> so that became easier, but that was one reason. But the second main reason was it gave me more one-on-one -on -one with you. Everything we did, I got to do it with you instead of wondering how you did it with someone else. More than likely when you got to me with your drill, I could tell where your weaknesses are and where your strengths were. And they were probably the same on the others. But ultimately, my assistants will never coach exactly like me because they're not me. And they don't have the years that I have either and the amount of horses that I've helped either. So so I just decided this past, um, I guess it's been a lot of changes since 2020. I switched my business from training to 100% coaching. And that was kind of had to do that because of my uh, last training horse broke my hip. So I had to switch my business, but it actually was a blessing in disguise. And so oftentimes we think of hard times as just that, but sometimes they can actually be a blessing. Just like finding this new little ranch. At the time, I thought my world was ending, having to sell the ranch that I raised my son in and where I ran my business. Um, and I was very distraught. But then this place came available and it's perfect for me on my own. It's paid for, it's manageable. Um, and I'm able to just have my own horses and not have to board or train anymore. And that's a first. So I'm able to now use my brain instead of my body to make a living. And, you know, after 25 years of training horses, it's really nice to be able to, to just coach and give lessons and do clinics. It's been a nice change. And what I plan to do for the next 20 years. So so anyways, uh, what I'm telling you all of these things is because oftentimes when we're in the middle of something with a horse in our journey of our goals with our horses and our competition, sometimes we don't see the end result. So I'm just telling you that you have to trust the process. You know, you have to pray on it, what you're, you know, and let God handle it and, and, um, you know, you have to work at it every day, but you also have to have some trust, trust in God's plan, trust in the process, and just enjoying the journey. 
you know, I used to tell people at my clinics, I always started them off saying there's nothing better than hearing the new time to beat or the winner is with your name followed behind it. And yes, that's still an amazing feeling because we work so hard to train those horses and compete. And when you finally put it all together, it's an amazing feeling when that happens. Um, but looking back and I, I think of my relationships with Callie and Cash and and uh, Belle and Buddy and Maggie and Briscoe and Sister and Rocky. Um, I don't remember those things are not what pop out first, not the award ceremony where you got your championship saddle buckle or your checks. It was the times I spent out riding them in the cow pasture. It was the times I spent just riding them and spending time with them, training them. The journey is what stood out to me more so than the time that the announcer said the winner is or the new time to beat. So I guess that's what I'm trying to tell you too. When you feel disappointed, don't hold on to that because that's not what you're going to remember one day. You're going to remember the, the connection, the relationships, the memories of um, your journey with your horse and your family and your friends. That's what's going to stand out. It's same with my son with roping. I miss pulling that darn roping dummy on the four-wheeler and watching him, you know, work so hard at roping that dummy. So that stood out to me, you know, and, and, and things like that. The talks that we had in the truck on the way to the, the roping practice or lesson or, or a little jackpot. You know, those are things that stood out to me more so than the actual events. So um, as I get started here, I do want to mention we have 20 people, which is awesome on the personal best uh, list for the drawing for November. So if you had a personal best, be sure to tell me. I'm about halfway through the videos from the weekend, so I'll be working on the other half today. So I hope to get everybody their videos reviewed today by the end of the day. Um, that's my hope. And with two days from Thanksgiving, um, my goal is to get that done for you before the holiday. And uh, let's see, I have a few questions to answer. A spooky horse, how to, to desensitize, desensitize them without making it worse? Well, first thing, you can send me videos so that I can see what's going on. But I have many desensitizing videos in the members only page. Um, you do not want to start desensitizing a horse in motion or in the saddle until they can desensitize on the ground um, in place. So basically, you're teaching them to spook in place. So start out, you know, get a bunch of goodies out in the arena or the round pin with you. Put your horse on a rope halter, rope knot halter with a long rope, maybe 20-foot rope. And, um, and you know, get out a, a lunch whip. Get out a plastic grocery bag. Get out a feed bag. Get out a bucket of nuts and bolts, an umbrella, a slicker, a rope and rope. Anything, you know, banners, tarps, anything that you think they might be scared of. Maybe put some stuff on the ground that they'd have to walk over, like a ply, a board, a ply board. Um, things that are safe that they can't get hurt on, of course. Um, or, you know, put some logs on, over a tarp and have them walk over the tarp, things like that. So that'll be later. But first, we're going to stack them out in place. So what you want to do is you can let them smell the object as you present it. But always present from the side of them, like their shoulder, so you don't get struck if they spook. Um, also hold your rope about two feet from the halter 
so that if they do spook, they don't swing around and kick at the object and kick you instead. And then after you let them smell it and take it away, if they're still really scared of it, let them follow you with the object until it's not as scary. <clears throat> and then teach them the word command whoa beforehand. Make sure you can lunge them and they understand whoa means whoa. <clears throat> and once they stop and stand nicely for you, and you say the word whoa, then present it to their big muscles, like their shoulder, their neck, their hip, their back, and say whoa, take it away, and keep doing it until their head is down and they're no longer big-eyed or snorty or ears up or head up or moving their feet and scared and worried. And that might take one day with some horses. It might take 30 days with another horse. So don't just keep doing it till they're over it. And once they are happy with one object, move on to the next object and just repeat the process. Don't increase the pressure if they're scared, but don't quit if they're square, scared. As soon as they show a try where they try to stand and relax, take the object away. If you think they're going to move in a second, stop, stop moving the, the um, stop with the, the uh, item in a half a second. The key is that two plus two is always four. And that means that you present them with something scary, say whoa, and they spook in place. We don't want them to move. So if you quit with the, pro the, the uh, piece of equipment that you're desensitizing with, if you quit with the bag or the whip or the slicker when they're moving, then they learn if I move, she quits. So don't ever quit. It's going to be kind of hard. You got to kind of hold the rope and, and you may decrease the pressure a little bit, but don't increase it and don't stop. Um, just try to stay the same or a little less until they stop and stand. And again, it might take five minutes. It might take an hour with one thing, but you have to try to quit on a, on a yes answer. And you want to present it in a way that you think you're going to get a yes answer. So start with the easiest object and, and then eventually you're going to want to move to where you can touch their legs and their tummy and their head with it. So normally I start with something I can be have it at the end of my lunge whip so my arm is longer and it gives me an extension of my tool. I may just start with a lunge whip with a string on it and be able to slap it on the ground and helicopter over their head. I might attach that plastic bag to that string on the end of that lunge whip and present it to them that way. Um, but you can also do it from your hand. You don't have to do it always from the lunge whip, but that's where I would start if my horse is scared. Just like if you need to pick up a horse's feet that don't pick up the feet, you're better off to start with a lead rope and ask them to give to the lead rope than putting your hands down there where you could possibly get kicked or stepped on. So keep that stuff in mind as well. The next question is about colt starting. What should you look for when you're looking for a colt starter? You know, I used to start colts. I started probably 100 colts, and I had a line and a waiting list because I was good at it. I used a lot of Clinton Anderson methods. Um, he has a really great colt starting series, and I followed it to a T. Um, it was, I, I learned it back in, I guess, maybe 2000. Before Clinton Anderson, though, I used a lot of John Lyons methods, Tom Dorrance, um, Ray Hunt. I used a lot of those methods. I always started in a round pin. I always made sure they were calm and confident on the ground. And then I always used a ground person to help me for the first rides in the saddle. So that way it just transitioned easily. I also added a few extra things like ground driving. So they knew not to be afraid of the ropes and steering. I ponied them a lot off colts. I mean, older horses. So they got used to me above them. 
Um, again, a lots, lots of desensitizing, slapping that saddle, making sure nothing was going to scare them. But I had rules, rules that they couldn't get hurt. I couldn't get hurt. We were calmer at the end than we started. And um, I always did it based on love, trust, respect, communication of cues. And I've always stuck to that. It always went well. I don't believe in a cult starter that bucks them out, you know, or, or lets them get scared of a saddle or get themselves in a situation um, where they can get hurt. I don't tie a horse off hard and do it. Um, I use tie rings. I don't, I don't tie them off hard where they can learn to pull back. Um, you know, you'll want to desensitize a horse, um, on a tie ring eventually, as well as in motion too. But that again is after you do the, um, the sacking out in place. So with your cold starter, I would get references. Don't go for the cowboy, go for the horseman. Um, ask if they'll send you videos weekly and photos weekly. Go to their farm and see if they have hay and feed and what their water tanks look like. Do other horses look ha uh, fat and happy or healthy? Not fat, but healthy. You know, good weight and look healthy and happy and peaceful. Do they look, you know, like they're scared or hurt or sweat marks? Um, you know, are they shiny or dull? I mean, really? And and just let them know, hey, I don't. I want this to be done gentle and... Um, and easy and slow because I promise you a cold starter can make or break a performance horse for their lifetime. If a cold starter gives a colt a bad experience, that can sit with that colt for the rest of their life and have that in the back of their head. That's why I don't want them bucking, rearing, laying down or anything like that. I would rather prepare them, over prepare them and spend more time on the ground so they're never overexposed and a bad thing doesn't happen. I don't put a saddle on them until they're not reactive to saddle pads, to, you know, uh, just a lot of different things. You can use a sur single, you can use a bareback pad. Um, there's a lot of things you can do before you ever cinch a saddle to them and, you know, risk a saddle getting under their belly or anything like that. So, so take the time it takes. You don't have to ride them in a bit in the beginning. They can ride them in a rope halter, um, you know, there's a lot of things like that they can do with the colt, a bozelle, a side pull. Um, all of those things are really important. So, again, that's the stuff that I would do um, and be very careful who you pick. And if this, if they say no to coming out or, you know, taking weekly lessons with your colt, those are all red flags. And I'd be careful about that. So my next question was about if it's a good fit for you and the what bloodlines I like the best. Um, you know, everybody's different. I never had the luxury when I was training horses to say, I only take this bloodline, you know, I only work with this level horse. Um, I took anything and everything. I never asked what their bloodlines were. If people told me that was great, but that wasn't going to stop me from working with that horse or looking at them as an individual. Um, are there certain horses that people get along with and compete with? Well, absolutely. Some people like a certain style of horse and that's all they'll ride i had many pro rodeo friends like that they would only ride certain bloodlines and certain horses because they knew that they were successful with them but as a trainer i didn't have that luxury i had to adapt to every style and every horse that came in if i wanted to pay my bills and um and so i i, I just treated every horse as an individual because to me um that wasn't why I did it. I wasn't going to do it to get every single horse that came in my barn to a futurity, a derby, a pro rodeo. Um, 
the 1D level. I was doing it to help a horse and a rider have a better relationship and become their personal best. So I do think, though, there are certain fits that some people just do better with. Some of you cannot ride free runners. Some of you cannot ride push horses. Some of you don't want like a nervous horse. You want a laid back horse. And, and that's fine. If you realize that that's how you are, there's nothing wrong with that. If you get along better with a, uh, you know, a, a Frenchman's guy than you do with a dash to fame, you know, you know, that's fine too. Everybody has their own, own things that they like. As a trainer, sometimes you're not allowed that luxury um, unless you just have elite clients and you only take in certain clients and horses. Um, the next question is, uh, do I like short or long warm-ups? And honestly, that depends on the horse. I want a good-minded horse. I want a horse with a lot of heart. So most most every horse I've ever had, I've done short warm-ups with because I train them to have a good, you know, a lot of horses, good minds come naturally, but you can also help a horse have a better mind by preparing them, you know, and making maybe a fractious horse like my Briscoe to understand how to handle her emotions and also meet her where she's at. I didn't make her warm up in the midst of chaos. I warmed her up somewhere quiet. Um, and I could do all my horses in a 20-minute warm-up. Walk for 5 or 10 minutes with some flexing and moving off my leg. Long trot a little bit. Lope a little bit. Boom, we're ready to go. I did my training at home. So all my warm-up had to be was to get them, uh, you know, get their muscles and, and legs warmed up and stretched out enough that they wouldn't hurt themselves in competition. And just make sure the buttons are working and, you know, pilots are put co-pilot were in tune to each other and we're ready it didn't have to be ride them down now there are some horses that are strong or hyper or hot that require a longer slower warm-up and then tie up to the trailer and warm them up again before you run that's not my kind of horse because I was always competing on three at a time and um and I really don't have an hour per horse you know 20 minutes was my max you know um, and also sometimes you get places and they change the order of event like at a rodeo and it's good to know that if you had to you could get your horse ready in 10 minutes and go make a run so so I do think you need to make sure that you can be spontaneous obviously we want to have a little bit of a warm-up so they don't hurt themselves their muscles are warm and stretched out that kind of stuff so I think that's all I have for questions so I'm going to go right into the topic I try to keep these podcasts about 30 minutes and I've already been talking 26. So um, here's my questions for you. I'd like you to write these things down. Number one, what did you learn from 2022 about you, your horse, and your barrel racing goals? So write that down. What did you learn in 2022 about you, your horse, and your barrel racing goals? And number two, that was number one. Number two, what goal did you reach in 2022? Number three, what are you better at? Number four, what do you want to be better at? What did you not accomplish that you wanted to accomplish for 2022? And um, number five, what's your new goals going to be for 2023? So let's kind of look at those. When you look at 2022, I hope you found something in each thing about you and your horse. Maybe you found out that you are resilient. Maybe you found out that you can be goal-oriented. Maybe you found out that you can be disciplined and work hard 
and um, maybe you found out your horse has advanced and have learned and and you've learned how to work with your horse better. Maybe you found out your sweet spots in your barrel racing, those kind of things. So write down what you've learned about knowing your horse, knowing you, and knowing your barrel racing better. Um, on, on, on number two, you at the beginning, anybody that's been in the group for two years know that every year around December, we start setting our goals. So um, did you reach your 2022 goals? I had, I think, five or six goals for myself. And I think I obtained three or four. So there's two, I think there's two that I'm still not there, but that's because I've still got to get hip surgery and things like that. So um, number three, what are you better at? Um, for me, I know it's a, a more of a spiritual growth and also um, being more understanding and supportive to people and not having those expectations of people because everybody sees things different. Everybody does things different and, and, Learning that you don't have to be right. You just have to try to meet them where they're at. Um, those are things. So then the number four, um, what do you want to be better at? So this is a good time to say, okay, here's where I came up short last year, but here's what I want to work on for this next year. And then, of course, on setting your new goals, number five, for a horse, I would try to pick one association that you want to compete in. That way you have a goal, you have a purpose. It keeps you, you know, driven and, and all of that. Um, but don't pick like five things because A, you're going to run your horse's legs off. B, you're going to stress yourself out. You know, you may pick one association that you're going to go to and then maybe pick a couple of super shows or a super show association that you're going to attend, you know. So maybe you do MBHA and PacWest or, you know, maybe you do IBRA or WPRA and you do occasional uh, big shows like World or something. So, so, you know, just pick and choose what your goals are, but don't, don't over, over pick, you know, just have like one or two main, main focuses for you and your horse based on where they're at in their training. Some of you, it might just be to get them, you know, hauling and move from jackpots to super shows or from super shows to rodeo, you know, whatever that your goal is. So, so when I want to talk about this, um, Number one thing I see in riders is the fear of failure. I do not know why people feel the need to, I don't know why we're afraid of failure. Um, the thing is, is I don't think about failure. Every once in a while I do, I'll get scared. You know, you know, am I going to make it? You know, do, do I have, when you're, when you have your own business, there's no, you know, no work, no pay. So there's, you're constantly doing your job, but you're also constantly looking towards the future. Do I have more incoming? Do I have more clinics set up? Do I have more lessons set up? Am I advertising my virtual coaching? You know, you're always doing that as an entrepreneur. You're trying to always do that. So I don't really have time to think about failure. I'm too busy trying to just keep things rolling. So I don't worry about competing against anybody else. I don't really worry about what anybody else is doing except for my clientele and what their needs are and how I can help them. So, um, so it should be, you compete against yourself in life and in, in barrel racing, it should be a personal goal and, and you should not be afraid of failure because nobody succeeds without losing. Nobody succeeds without failure. You will fail and you will lose over and over and over. And that's how you will win. And, and you have to just remember that never to give up because is like Michael Jordan said, and it's in my um, performance trackers with some of my favorite quotes, that he lost, 
you know, he, he, um, I don't know, he lost, like, missed 9,000 shots or something like that. He missed X amount of free throws for the winning point for the, the team. And everybody knows Michael Jordan as a champion basketball player. But he says that's how he succeeded because of all his losses. He just kept going and kept going. So so when you have that fear of failure, don't. Just, just focus on working at it every day. Focus on riding your horse. Focus on improving yourself. And then... You don't even have time. That's why people get nervous before they run. Don't get nervous before you run. When you get nervous, it's because you're thinking about outside sources. If you just think about doing your job, riding to your spots, connecting to your horse, taking those deep breaths, saying a little prayer for safety, you're so focused on doing your job, you don't have time to get nervous. Learn to take those deep breaths. That's a big helper. You know, clear your mind and just be in the moment. So all those things are important. The second thing I notice about people is the fear of being alone. You know, people, like some people won't haul the barrel races by themselves. They can't ride by themselves. They have to have a clique of people to be, you know, happy. Or they share their every emotion on Facebook and all their drama. And I never understood that, you know. I, I went from living with my dad to living with my husband. But I've always been on my own. My husband traveled all the time. I had... Um, raised my son pretty much all by myself during the week because he was always gone. He was on home on the weekends. I always had to find peace and happiness within myself. And now for the last, what, since 2016, I've been all alone. And I'm very happy. I, I just, I love my farm. I love my fur babies. I, I love my business. And I enjoy my own company. So I, I think that that's something that you have to look at yourself. And if you can't enjoy what you enjoy on your own, you know, you might you might be a different person. You might only, you know, like to be with people and, and stuff. And that's okay too, but you have to know your peace and happiness. And it really does come from within yourself. So I just want you to think about that as well. The third thing I want to mention is expectations. Sometimes we have expectations of other people. When I was younger, in my 30s, I didn't know this. So if what I can tell you can save you heartache and heartbreak, I will. I used to get mad because I didn't think people, you know, appreciated me or, um, you know, I worked hard for them and I didn't, I didn't get that kind of respect or loyalty back or, you know, that kind of thing. But I realized that's not, that's not important. Um, but I used to have to be right. And it used to frustrate me that other people didn't have the same sense of expectations and loyalty that I gave to everything. And I ended up acting out on it. And all it did was cause me grief. You know, burning bridges is the worst thing you can do. You know, the best thing you can do is just wish people well, you know, you do what you need to do. And I'm happy for you. And maybe someday you'll come back. Maybe someday you won't. But either way, I did my best for you and, um, and, you know, and I wish you well. And that's how I wish I would have left every relationship rather than getting disappointed in people. Whenever I had expectations of people, that's when I got disappointed with people. And, um, and that's the biggest thing I want to, I want to point out. So, so it will lead to disappointment. And that can be with your, your family. It can be with your friends. It can be with, you know, your business associates. It can be with your coaching, your training, all of that. People aren't always going to say the right thing. They're not always going to do the right thing. They're not always going to do things for you. 
most people are going to do what's best for them as an individual. And, and that's what I would say I learned by the time I hit my 40s and my 50s. Um, I learned not to rattle that, that stuff not to rattle me. In my 20s and 30s, it did. You know, I used to, you know, get more upset about things. And then time taught me that that's not what's important. What's important is I did my best. And what's important is I wish them well. And, and maybe it'll come back around where we work together again. Maybe not. But, um, but anyways, if, I, if that helps you guys, I hope it does. So, um, you know, it's not worth losing a day or fretting over it. It's, you know, just better to be happy and move forward. So I do want to close by saying um, uh, communication is really important as well. Um, you know, if people don't communicate, I think that's how we get ourselves into trouble. But I also think that simplifying life and just being happy with a simple, peaceful life can really make a huge difference for people. Um, slow down. Take the time it takes. If it's training your horses, um, you know, when things are going sideways, just slow down. Spend more time with them. Fix things. You know, if you're adding speed to your horse and you want to teach them education with speed, understand that that might take time too. It might take time for them to understand to run a little harder and still rate and turn. Um, and you may have to, you know, ask them to rate sooner if you're asking them to run harder, you know, from the alleyway or out of a barrel. So those are things to consider as well. And the best way to improve is to work on yourself. The better you get at something, the better it's going to make in, in everything. Your personal life, your business life, your horses, your competition, all of that. So keep those things in mind as you go through your day. But I just want to end that this is Thanksgiving. This is a time that we should be filling our blessings and be giving thanks. And like I said, in Psalms 95.2, it says, Come before him with thanksgiving. And I'd like to close on that note and just really count your blessings this week and give thanks and and do some reflecting for December. And... um. And that's what our, our challenges are going to be to stay inspired and to set our goals for 2023. So I hope everybody has a beautiful Thanksgiving with your, your family, your friends, your uh, fur babies, whatever you're doing for the holiday weekend. Just stay safe and God bless y'all. And as always, ride with heart.